Top of the morning, church. We seem a little bit more lively, at least the adults do, because there's no snow compared to last week, whereas the kids were more lively last week because of the snow. It's amazing how different age perception can change things. Today was going to be a two-song, two-footnote sermon, but that got too long, so it's going to be a one-footnote, one-song sermon, and I will save the other song and footnote for next week, which is very important. We have been looking in our Bibles, and if you don't have a Bible, just put your hand up. We have a couple Bibles in the back. It's good to have the Word in your hand as we look through the Word. And we have been going through this theme called With Christ in the School of Suffering. I think that's going to be the first slide. Not sure. Yeah, and this title, again, isn't the first that we would choose. Who would want to choose suffering? No, we, we don't want suffering. In fact, we do our best to stay away from suffering. When there's pain involved, we, we choose the other route, we choose the other way. And we don't want to be involved with suffering. But what's very important about this title of the series, it's, it's with Christ. So Christian, hear this. In your suffering, Christ is with you. How great that is. Where the rest of the world, if they don't have that, no wonder it seems so barren and ends up empty. But for the Christian, we have Christ in this. With Christ in the school of suffering. And there's much to learn in suffering, and we find that out. And the first thing that we've talked about is we, instead of beginning with the beginning, we begin with the end, having the eternal perspective. The eternal perspective is so important. And I wrote this down. Knowing the truth of the glory and having the right perspective in suffering is very important. So we began with the end, having this heavenly perspective. So, song number one. I've got the words for you here on the slide. It's called, On Sorrow's Other Side by Michael Kelly Blanchard. One of my favorite Christian artists, probably the, the, the greatest unknown Christian artist there is out there, Michael Kelly Blanchard. On Sorrow's Other Side. I won't sing it, I'll spare you that, but let's read this here. When I was a little, I was mighty sick. I had my share of the needles that stick ya. I often panicked, but my mom had a trick or two. She said, there's something that you've got to learn. When you start out, you've begun to return. And it gets much greener where the grass has been burned in you. In the car, I would fight back the tears, get real sullen and sad, She'd tell me some joke that would dilute my fears, and somehow it wasn't so bad. When it was over, I was always surprised how better things looked through the very same eyes and how my hell had become paradise. But then she knew. Coming's the flip side of going. Leaving anything, and you've got to be knowing, suffering is just part of growing. And all those farewell tears will turn to hello cheers when your ship appears with the incoming tide on sorrow's other side. I love this part here. I knew this woman who was crippled and blind. Her health was failing and she hadn't much time. 
Her path was stony and an uphill climb heading home. Every day she took her pills by the pound and then some more to keep the first ones down. She grew weary of the merry-go-round she rode. But never once did she give up the fight. She said, I'm here till he calls me home. Then one morning she saw such a light. She was gone before the medics came. And as the ambulance took her that day, somewhere better, a band started to play where she could laugh and throw her cane away and know coming is the flip side of going. Leave anything and you've got to be knowing suffering is just part of growing. And all those farewell tears will turn to hello cheers when your ship appears with the incoming tide on sorrow's other side. Isn't that good? Please listen to this and write this down. Etch this into your memory. Suffering has its time, but we need to have the eternal perspective. Just like a coin, there's a, there's a flip side. Sorrow's other side is what? Glory. The verse we looked at, though this momentary light affliction and pain and suffering doesn't compare to the eternal weight of glory that God is working in us. Weigh that in your life. With the cross as the framework, the heart of suffering has these biblical truths. Eternal perspective. The cross of Jesus secures for us heaven, the eternal glory. Praise God, amen? We have that in us. God works in us. And secondly, we're working on this aspect. God knows pain. God knows. He understands pain. And the cross experiences suffering. We need to understand our suffering. We need to understand the suffering of those around us. We need to understand the groanings of creation through God's perspective. Through God's perspective in the cross. And that's where we're headed these next few weeks. So let's pray before we dig into the word. Thank you, Lord, that my cup is not filled with just justice and wrath, which I deserve. Yet because of your great love for me, we have received grace and mercy more than we can comprehend. And Lord, I ask as we look at the one who suffered for us and rescued us, that we would again get an understanding, a right perspective that you have offered for us so that we would be able to work through our own personal suffering, our living hells, because you are with us. We thank you for that. Spirit, move in our hearts and guide us this morning. In your precious name, Jesus. Amen. The book of Psalms speaks of many things. There's many things we turn to the book of Psalms. We turn there for comfort. We turn there to get inspired. We turn, I love the book of Psalms to, to learn how to pray. It'd be great just to study the book of Psalms and just see what prayer is in the book of Psalms and the beauty of that. And ultimately, 
I believe the Word of God is given to us so that we could know Him. This is given so that we can understand who He is, His character, how He works with people, how He deals with others. And this is all about knowing Him and thus, out of that, worshiping Him. But we also have seen that the book of Psalms speaks of Christ. Written centuries before He came, specific things were written that pointed to Christ. Amazing. We've been looking at the Psalms, seeing the Messiah, the coming Savior. And there are certain passages, Psalm 110, Psalm 2, that speak of the royal, the messianic greatness of Jesus. Then there's Psalms that speak and predict aspects of his suffering, like Psalm 22. So turn to Psalm 22. Here it doesn't really point out the royal, glorious beauty of the coming king. It points to his suffering. Why is it, and this is something that sometimes perplexes, why is it that God, to save us, would send someone that would suffer? Why wouldn't he just send this great, glorious king that would look powerful and mighty, shaped like myself, and have a... No, I'm just kidding. But why wouldn't he send someone that is just mighty and wonderful? Why would he also be one that suffers? That doesn't make sense. With Christ in the school of suffering, according to the book of Psalms. Psalms 22 is one of the major passages to look at when we look at Christ in the book of Psalms. In fact, as one author says, he says this, These sufferings are seen in the Gospels in the piercing of the hands and feet, the body stretched out on the cross, the intense thirst, the division of garments, Psalm 22. And just as there are royal passages in Psalms and suffering passages in Psalms, we also have the same aspect in the Gospels. In the New Testament, we have four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke and John when they speak of the crucifixion, they speak of the suffering, but primarily it's the glorious benefit, the aspect of the greatness of the suffering. Whereas Matthew and Mark speak of the pain and suffering of the crucifixion. Just as Psalms has two different aspects, the greatness and royalty of it, and the pain and suffering it's interesting that the Gospels do the same thing. Matthew and Mark, the suffering and pain, where Luke and John, the glory and the beauty of suffering. I found that very interesting as I looked through Scripture and mapped it out. Or as Grant Osborne says, Matthew and Mark focus on the horror of putting to death the Son of God. So therefore, we're going to turn to Psalm 22, and have our fingers there primarily, and also Matthew 27. Matthew 27. In fact, take a look at, I think I have a slide somewhere where, yeah, here it is, it's right there. Up ahead of me here. So today we're going to be looking at this, the suffering rescuer. Matthew 27 parallels Psalm 22 in four main ways here. And, and here's kind of where we've got it mapped out here. Matthew 27, 35, the dividing of garments and the casting of lots. 
spoken of in Psalm 22, verse 18. Matthew, verse 29 here, the shaking of the heads, that shows up in verse 7 of Psalm 22. Matthew 27, 43 talks about the, the challenges of God to come and rescue this man. Well, that's spoken of in Psalm 22, verse 8. And the cry of Jesus, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which we looked at last week. Shows up in verse 46 in Matthew, and then verse 1 of Psalm 22. There's great parallels here in this. Living each day, we know that there's suffering. Just as that song said, as a little boy getting needles, and oh, who wants that? Live long and you'll know that there is suffering. Suffering all around us. And as we mentioned, we began to mention, we said last week, there's two types of kind of suffering. You could categorize suffering in two types. One would be physical pain. The physical kind of sensation that gets pain. And it's interesting, we have different types of tolerance. Trust me, in my family, if a certain amount of energy trauma is put to my body, I can endure a little bit more than, say, my wife can. She doesn't like pain. Not that I like pain, but I can handle it a little bit more than some others may, where some of you might be be able to handle some pain more than I can. We all have different levels of sensation of pain. On a scale 1 to 10, as a medic for 13 years, I would sit, let's say it's a car accident, there's certain questions I would ask interviewing the, the, the person after we took care of make sure there's no life-threatening injuries and we would you know, package him up, get him ready to put in the ambulance. There's certain questions I would ask. Are you taking any medications? And then we'd ask pain questions. What's, we'd ask, um, when's the last time you ate a meal? What day is it? Just to kind of get it so they understand where they're at and stuff, see their level of consciousness. But we would ask, what's your level of pain on scale 1 to 10? For some people, uh, 8 but if you would give that same kind of pain to someone else, they could say, oh, a five. Or they could fake it and go, oh, a four. <laughs> you know, they'd be suffering inside. But when it comes to pain, we sense it differently. Another question we would ask as a medic, I would say, what type of pain is it? Is it, does it radiate? Very important question. Like, does it move to your arm and your jaw from your chest? Aha, uh-huh. okay, some of you are thinking, I've heard those questions before. Does it go any place? Does it stay in one area? And we would ask those types of questions. So when it comes to pain, the sensation, physical pain, there's different types of pain. We try to avoid those, right? We're not dealing with that type of pain, although we will when it comes to Christ and the cross. Primarily we're looking at the emotional aspects of pain. And here again we differ. How many of you, and most likely most of you raise your hand, when you were in high school or in junior high, did you date someone and you broke up with them or they broke up with you? How many of you got dumped when you were a kid? Am I the only? Raise your hand. Okay, there's a few of you. Wow, okay. Some of you skirted by that pretty nice. That's good for you. I suffered often primarily because of my choices and the things I, yeah. Yeah, we all, during a breakup, as a, if junior hires, when they go through a breakup, For some, it's traumatic, uh, very dramatic, and more than it maybe should be. 
where for some it's like, oh, whatever, go on to the next one. Okay, then you scratch your head and go, what's going on here? We need to help orientate how you think about dating. Okay, this is what, what's going on. We all suffer differently when it comes to emotional pain. I won't have you raise your hand on this one, but some of us have lost our parents. I remember the time my wife, I was coming back with my daughter. We, we got out of the car. It was late September. We're walking out, and my, my wife walked to the porch, and I could just tell something was up. So I kind of was like, okay. She said, Cody, your dad just passed away. How I handled that at that moment might be different than the news that you got when you found out your parent passed away. I was okay. I think it was I was with Autumn, and I just said, let's go in the house and talk about this. I didn't fall down and break down and weep at that moment. It just We all handle emotional pain differently, right? And that's good to know that we do that differently. So when we deal with emotional pain, we need to know that we deal with it differently, but God understands our pain and how we deal with it. Last week, we looked at a very important concept in Scripture. Abandonment. And here it was. Jesus was momentarily abandoned by His Father so that His children would never be abandoned. That is something that is so important, so vital to the Christian living, to living each day, that knowing that Jesus was momentarily abandoned because of our sin that he took on. He became the sacrifice so that we would never be abandoned. The passage we read was Galatians 3.13. It said this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. The cry that Christ said on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Wasn't just an emotional feeling. It was real. It was legitimate abandonment. And some of you understand abandonment on this side, on this side of sorrow. Some of you have been rejected by your employers. Some of you have been rejected by a former spouse. Some of you understand abandonment from friends, family, where they just kind of oust you out and say, no, we're not going to have you be a part of our parties anymore. You feel like you're the outcast. The cry that Jesus had was real. And he understands abandonment more than we could ever understand. Those who are in Christ. Because he was momentarily abandoned by God so that his children would never be abandoned. Profound. But this week we're going to look at another aspect of suffering. So turn to Psalm 22. I was going to try to jam them all in one, but we're just going to look at verses 6 through eight at different types of suffering. Jesus quotes this in his time of physical and emotional agony. We see this on the cross, some of these words here that have happened. Let me read this and then we'll kind of work through it. But I am a worm and not a man scorned by men and despised by people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. 
He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let the Lord deliver him, since he delights in him. This person's suffering. As David wrote this, he was probably speaking of a real situation. Many times we have notes to say, this is when he was fleeing from so-and-so. This is when he was hiding in a cave. Yet under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as he penned out these words, he was speaking of one that would come and rescue his people. Verse 6, let's begin with this. I am a worm and not a man. Here's humiliation. This word worm shows up in Scripture in Job and Isaiah where it means I am humiliated. It's interesting when I look and see the news from back where I'm from, Wisconsin, it's still freezing as crazy. Everyone's complaining. One person's complaining. The mailman hasn't come to my door because I can't clear the snow yet. They just can't get the mail to them. Or Lake Superior is 90% froze over. I mean, the Great Lakes are freezing over. It's so cold. Where today, walking up to church, what did I see on the sidewalk? Worms. I'm like, this is crazy. It's, it's February. It should be frozen solid. Then I looked at a few worms, and my kids were like, ew, gross. Did you, how many saw the worms as you walked on the sidewalk? There's a few of them like, oh, a worm. The sting of rejection, humiliation is tough. How many of you have been humiliated? You don't want to raise your hand and say, oh, I've been humiliated all the time. Who likes humiliation? None of us understand it truly, but we, we think of words, and we hear words given to us and things, and it burns. There's something about humiliation that burns like an open wound. You take rubbing alcohol. And oh, you don't do that. It hurts. Being humiliated truly hurts. Being picked last on the team. I don't want that as a little kid. Or, I remember as a little boy, this thing drove me nuts. I may have some food or dirt on my mouth, and what would my mom do? She would lick something and wipe it off right in front of my friends and go, oh, here you go, darling. Oh, I'm humiliated. I'm embarrassed. Mom, don't do that. Dirt is cool to me. I like a little scrap food on my face saying, look, I won. <laughs> Don't wipe it off. My mom would come by and wipe it off. Oh, man, I'd be so embarrassed in front of my friends. But people sometimes can point out real flaws within us. There's something about saying, hey, listen, there's some flaws you have when they do it in private. When they do it publicly... That's humiliating. That's embarrassing. We don't want that. They look at you and how you dress and how you look. You notice today's a special day. This rarely happens for me. I have a shirt that I can stretch my arms out completely. Where most of the shirts I have, you'll notice I roll them up. Why? Because they come up to your mind. God made me super monkey arms or something. I'm really long. And my clothes don't fit me normally. And if I would show that out and people say, look, ha ha, Pastor Cody's clothes don't fit him and make fun of me, that's a little embarrassing. It wouldn't embarrass me because I don't really get embarrassed, but people make fun of us. Flaws that we have. Talk about how you dress and how you look. Or your family. Where you were born. 
I often in my life never get embarrassed. I never have people try to embarrass me. Except for being a Christian, that's happened. Or just, and I understand that, but I've never been, try, someone made fun of me as a person, except for one person in college. I remember when I was in college, I came as a freshman, and I was, as the sa- I was 21 years old as a freshman, and that was the same age as the seniors in college. And for some reason, some of the seniors didn't like that. I don't, I don't know what the deal was. I didn't like gloat it around. I'm 21. In fact, didn't want to, you know, hey, I'm. But there was one guy. I don't even remember his name. It's probably a good thing. There was one guy. He was the preppiest guy there. Polo, he would bathe in it every day. Already you can see my disdain against him. But he would bathe in the polo cologne. And he had the little alligator. I don't even know what kind of shirts those are. And, you know, he just, he dressed perfect you know, the perfect teeth and everything, and he was just the GQ guy of the day. You know, I didn't even know what GQ was back in the day until I found out it's a magazine. Anyways, fancy guy magazine. And, and then you got Cody. I had jeans, surprise, surprise, and always my favorite T-shirts of the time, my favorite band or whatever, and I had what's called a mullet. Some of you don't know what that means, but my hairdo was cool. Even though it was from the 90s, I was from the 80s, I was in the 90s still with my cool hairdo. And I think that's what set him off at first. I had the perfect mullet, and he just did not like that. And I remember in school, I was put on the homecoming court. And as a senior, in front of chapel, he told everyone, Here's homecoming court. And he's reading the names he got to my name Cody Carcass, really loud. I'm like, Oh, he's mocking my name. And he would, in front of people, even at the cafeteria, he would tell them, go, Hey, Carcass, how you doing? And he would go, Funny hairdo, man. And I'd be like, What? A couple of my friends would be like, yeah, He doesn't like you. I'm like, I gather that. And often, he would do things publicly to try to embarrass me. And a couple times it got to me. I'm one who doesn't get embarrassed. You can make fun of me all you want. Go ahead. I just, my security is not in myself, trust me, because this... It's fading. My, I got that eternal perspective down pretty well. This guy would mock me, embarrass me in front of people, and I, I just, what's his problem? And I literally thought, should I get a haircut? I'm like, whoa, I'm not touching the, no, that's, that's the beauty. I'm not doing that. I'm not going to stoop to his level. And then one day, he was down there making out with his girlfriend in front of everyone and just gloating in it. I don't know, he had some issues. And I thought, I'm going to get him. Because in my humiliation, in my embarrassment, I thought, I want to get back at this guy. I had a master key because I worked in the grounds crew, and I could get into his room. And I thought about getting our leaf blower, this little backpack thing, you start up, little gas-powered leaf blower, and getting a five-pound bag of flour, cutting it open, walking in his room and going, and just hosing his room down, and then topping it off with a little spray bottle of water. But I didn't. Thank you, right? It's a good thing. Don't worry. Patch Cody didn't. But my mind started going. I was being embarrassed. I was being humiliated. This guy didn't like me. When he was gone, he was gone. I don't know what happened to him. Maybe the Lord worked in our heart. Maybe the Lord worked in my heart and I got a haircut. I don't know what happened. But in my humiliation, I felt like a worm. This guy was trying to say, he's, take him away. He's, a, he's an idiot. Look at Carcass. And in my embarrassment, in my humiliation, I wanted to get back 
with a leaf blower and a bag of flour. It would have been great. The greatest prank of the year, right? It would have been bad. Shame, embarrassment, humiliation is horrible. As I'm working on this series, there are three things I think are the the hardest things to deal with. Abandonment. And again, if you struggle with abandonment, go back online, listen to that message, see the beauty that Jesus took our place. Amen? Humiliation is horrible and betrayal. Those three are tough. And Jesus took those places for his children. He understands humiliation. He understands being mortified in public. In fact, as we get later here, when they divided his garments, they stripped him naked. People want to put a little loincloth on. Oh, they no, they wanted to embarrass him. Look at these words in Psalm 22, verse 6. This passage here is more than humiliation than when your mother wipes off dirt from your face or someone makes fun of your last name. When people treat you less than human, like a worm, that is humiliation. That is deep emotional suffering. And for Christ, this type of humility was, listen to this, His way to the highest honor and the cross was the essential step to that goal. Humiliation. Christ took that. Footnote number one. The humiliation of Christ is a very important concept in Scripture that we need to understand. Quickly turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. What a great passage that speaks of Christ and His humiliation. Philippians chapter 2. So take a look at the next note we have here. I think I got these in order here. There's a lot of data, and I just put this up there. These will be in the notes that get sent to you via email, so you don't have to write every verse down. Write this all down. It can be overwhelming. The humiliation of Christ. Before we look at these notes, look at your word. Look at the Bible. Philippians chapter 2. Everyone, you're you're looking up there, so look down at your Bible. Look at your Bibles. Philippians chapter 2. Let's just begin with verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with His Spirit any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility. Consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look only at your own interests, but also the interest of others. Hey, taking care of yourself is very important, 
Take care of others. And then verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And look at the beauty of this passage. Who? Being the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be held on, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He emptied himself. Verse 8, And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on the cross. The humiliation of Christ is a very important thing in Scripture, and I would love to spend hours looking at each of these concepts, but quickly here, take a look at this. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, go back to yeah this here. Part 1, He was born. He took on human... Fully God, the Son of God, took on flesh. He stooped down, took on flesh. His birth was humble. The place he was born was humble. His circumstances were humble. There's a passage there, Mark 6.3. His rejection, repudiation, he was rejected. That's humiliating. His soul, his death, his burial, all these things speak of the humiliation of Christ. But it was necessary to execute the purpose of God This is God's plan from the beginning. Again, it's not that God had plan A, this is how it will be in the garden, then that didn't work out. Well, then i got to switch it in plan B. I love how the Lamb's book of life, have you heard of that in Scripture? The Lamb's book of the Lamb that was slain. This book was written before creation. It's the Lamb of the book that was slain. God already purposed before creation a remedy for our sin, and a Savior, a Rescuer to come. It was necessary. It was to fulfill the Old Testament types and prophecies, as we see in this passage here. It was to satisfy the law and to procure for His children eternal redemption and to show us an example, as we see in Philippians 2. In the miseries of His life, Over and over, Christ was humiliated. And ultimately on the cross, we see this. The curse of death on the cross, being buried, and tasting of death. He not only understands, because here's the problem. You may come to me and say, Pastor Cody, I've got an emotional problem. This is going on in my life. And and you can say, hey, um, we're having a problem financially and we have to get rid of our house and we don't know what to do with our house and I can go oh (laughs) I understand I have a house in Wisconsin and we don't know all these but really can I enter in and truly understand your story no I cannot though I may cry with you I may feel with you and for you I may not be able to taste what you taste where Christ In the humanity of Christ, he tasted, he suffered, he 
suffered for us. Let's take a look here again at Psalm 22, verse 6. But I am a worm, not a man. I'm humiliated. Scorned by men. And here we have Matthew 27, 39. The scorn of his enemies, the results in the feelings and emotional pain of worthlessness and despicable ridicule. Scorned by Christians and non-Christians alike. Sometimes I feel like that's the way I feel. Sometimes I, I'll, I'll be involved in something that the, the non-Christians and the Christians are both against me. Where Christ had his own people against him and people are the not his people against him. When we're scorned, when we're being torn like this, there's a feeling that no one is for you. Something is wrong and there's no worth, you're getting no respect, everyone's rejecting you. Please listen. In your humiliation, if you feel scorned and rejected by people, know that the eternal Son of God took on flesh and also walked that path. He understood what it's like to have harsh criticism. We have a friend, Pastor John and I, who is going through misery right now as a pastor. A third of his church, or maybe he only has a third left, I forget the the number there, where they have left. So much turmoil, everyone's fighting against the pastor. Letters are written, everyone wants him out and ousted. He's going through the heat and the battle. Maybe some of you have tasted things like that. Where people wrote letters about you, they want you out, and you feel like you're being rejected. Listen to this. You are not alone. You're not alone physically because you have brothers and sisters that can come alongside. We may not understand, but we can, in this, say this phrase, now is the time for tears. We may not have all the antidotes for you, but we will cry with you. I love this verse. In fact, turn here. Galatians 6.2. Quickly, turn here. Galatians 6.2 says this. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Listen, this is very important. Bear each other's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. I believe that the law of Christ, that phrase is only twice in Scripture. And I love it because I'm just like, whoa, we have so much about the Old Testament law. We understand that. And Christ has come to fulfill that. So then what is the law of Christ? Listen to this. Bear each other's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians 6, 2. What does it mean to bear each other's burdens? It's like a crutch. How many of you have ever seen a crutch that has all the things to do, needles that inject you, that help you, that walk? We don't have crutches like that. No. It's a chunk of wood and a rubber thing that sticks in the pit, right? Christians, that's how we are to be to our brothers and sisters who are suffering. You are just to be there to bear, one, to bear the weight to help them. That means you don't give all your antidotes. You don't say, oh, here's what you need to do. You need to just be like a stick and sit in the pit. And at times, now is not the time for answers for them. Now is the time for tears. So if you, let me go back to this, if you are being rejected, scorned, people are against you, listen, you are not alone. You have brothers and sisters who can be crutches for you, will sit in the pits with you, pun intended, 
and cry with you if need be. We won't try to give you all the answers. We will sit with you. We will bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So you are not alone because you have brothers and sisters. Don't run off and tuck and sulk on your own. You have people that want to be with you. And secondly, more importantly, the eternal God is always with you. Never will I forsake you. Never will I abandon you. He is with His children forever. Amen? So in the scorning, if you suffer, He is with you. He has tasted of that. He understands that. Scorned by men and despised by the people. Again, this is Matthew 27, 39. Or as Isaiah 53 3 says, despised and rejected by men. Christ, He understood and understands today what it means to be despised. You may think you look funny, and other people may think you look even funnier, and because of that they may reject you. You have certain skill sets that you have at work that you want to present, but people are rejecting you because they don't want, they got so-and-so Billy Bob who seems to be the brighter guy, and you get rejected. In your rejection, turn to Christ. He understands what it means to be despised. Verse 7 of Psalm 22. All who mock me All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. And again, this is Matthew 27, 39. There's a big phrase that's popular today in schools. It's called bullying. And I'm aware of bullying. I'm not for bullying. I don't like it. I think it's sad that it happens. But there's a part of me that thinks, when I was a kid, we got picked on too. I don't know if it's elevated, maybe just because, you know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong in this assessment, but bullying was back then. How many of you got picked on as a kid? We, we all got picked on and stuff. But I think it's getting a little bit more worse because of an important concept here. In school, I was bullied, yet the results of bullying are a little bit more maybe severe today is because kids didn't have the grounding we had 30, 40, 50 years ago. They didn't have respect for people as we did growing up. They didn't understand people were made in the image of God as we did back then more. It was, you know, the more you take God out of school, the more you take God out of the center of family life. And really it comes down to the family. Because the family's breaking down more and more, it's getting more severe. Bullying is not a good thing. It should be stopped. And people who are getting bullied, getting rejected, getting all this mockery, they're going to more severe extremes and going to more suicidal thoughts and cutting and all these painful things, more than I think they did in the past, because, again, they don't have this grounding. They don't have hope. Christ understands mocking, insults, People coming against him, even his own people. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. And shaking of the head of this time was a gesture of this time of content. They're worthless. This, yeah, you're worthless. When they would shake, when you would shake your head at someone, you'd be just like, get away from me. 
almost to the point of being a laughing stock. And this ridicule from enemies. And here's what I love. Here people are shaking their heads at Christ, going, no, you're worthless. In doing so, they are showing and verifying that he's the Messiah of Psalm 22. So in them saying, oh, you're worthless, in them trying to reject Jesus, ultimately it almost shows that he is the Messiah in some ways. So he understands insults. He understands rejection. Jesus has experienced and understood the anguish of innocent victim who suffers. And here it is. God truly suffered in the person of Jesus. This would be footnote number two, which we'll deal with next week. Does God really suffer the impassibility of God, which we'll deal with next week, because it's a huge concept. But listen to this. God truly suffered in the person of Jesus Christ. The creator of all. That's Jesus. Colossians chapter 1, 15, 16, and 17. The creator of call of all chose to become a creature in order to save a sinful people. Profound. Let me say that again. The creator of all chose to become a creature in order to save his sinful people. So let me say this on the side. There comes a time when your pain and suffering, your rejection, your humiliation, your mocking, that people mock you, it comes a time when explanation will not solve your pain. I can be up here until I'm blue in the face, just preaching out and just giving all the explanations about suffering and all this stuff, where explanation will not stop the pain, right? Right. Comfort is needed to stop the pain. And here's where the answer is. Jesus gives true comfort because he has sat where you sit. He is not immune to this. And this is the beauty where all other religions fail. It's not why they fail, but it's one of the reasons why they fail. They don't have a God who understands. We have a God, the only God, that understands you. He understands your pain. Jesus brings comfort. In the last part of this passage here, take a look at verse 8. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in the Lord. And again, here was a, something that was hurled at the Lord from the crowd and from a thief next to him. If you're God, save yourself. If you trust, save. Trust in the Lord, well then, the Lord's going to come and save you. Here are words that are thrown upon Christ that day as he hung on the cross. I mean, why not? Look at verse 5 of 22. The Old Testament patriarchs, Verse 4, our, in you, talking about the Lord, our fathers put their trust. They trusted in you, and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. So Jesus, on the cross, cry out to your Father. He'll save you. 
God would and could save him. The fathers were kept from disgrace. Why don't you be kept from disgrace and humiliation? Cry out to God. Save him. Because God will rescue his own. Think of that phrase. God will rescue his own. People of God, he will rescue his own. Even to the point of giving up his only son to rescue you. He will rescue his own. Amazing that these people try to discredit Jesus again from being the Messiah. They are using words in their ignorance, yet on their own accord, yet divinely by God, by bringing credit and attesting this prophecy showing that he is the Messiah. Here it is. The only way for Jesus to rescue his people was to refuse to be rescued on that day. Think of that. The only way for Jesus to rescue his people was to refuse to be rescued on that day. Galatians 1.4 says, says this. Who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. So go to the next slide. Last week we saw this phrase, and, and get these phrases, just think of these, just soak them in. <clears throat> Jesus was momentarily abandoned by God so that his children would never be abandoned. Now in the suffering of your pain, in your sickness, in your cancer, in the turmoils that you deal with your grandchildren, and you feel like you're going to lose things, they're, they're rejecting your children, are just calling you like they don't care about you anymore, you haven't seen them for years, you feel abandoned, know this. Jesus took ultimate abandonment, momentarily, truly tasted of it, from his Father, so that his children would never be abandoned. Praise God Almighty. This week, we realize this very important thing. Jesus chose... He chose this willingly. He chose not to be rescued from real agony and suffering. Because some people, and this is where people get messed up in the Trinity, they think, well, Jesus really didn't understand pain. And And they have the wrong view of of who Jesus was, which we'll deal with next week. They they think, well, he didn't really taste pain. It wasn't real to him because he's God. And listen, Jesus chose not to be rescued from real agony and suffering but chose to rescue his people from the real suffering and punishment of sin. Praise God, amen? He could have snapped his fingers, thousand angels come, rescued from the cross, he could have found some other way to come. No, really, that was the only way of salvation, that he would be rejected, not only by people, but by his heavenly Father, so that you would not be humiliated in the end. Here it is. How could you not worship him forever? Even if you suffer and taste rejection and humiliation, know that he tasted of that. And even to the greatest extent, he chose not to be rescued so you would be rescued from pain, sin, and the punishment of sin. 
Boil it down simply, Jesus chose not to be rescued, but chose to rescue his people. So here it is. If you suffer, turn to the suffering rescuer. If you suffer, turn to him. There is a friend and professor of mine who I never sat in many of his classes. I didn't choose him as a professor because he was, his brain was, he had like his brain almost stuck out of his head, frontal lobes, just brilliant philosopher and my brain just kind of fizzles out at some of that stuff. And, but I've sat in some of his classes and he's become a friend and he wrote a book called Deceived by God. His PhD and most of his great writings are on the problem of evil from the Calvinistic position. Very articulate, very wise. and He just he wrote all these great things. And after writing all that stuff, his wife got this disease. A degenerate disease that ultimately would end in death and be passed on to his children. And he was told, was I deceived by God? Let me read you the last sentence in this book. I even put, I put, best line in the whole book. She's got, it's called Huntington's disease, where it just generally goes on and she just shakes and she just gets to the point where she can't, her brain's functional, but her body just doesn't connect. She just can't even speak anymore. She's getting really bad now. She's still alive. She was able to dictate, and he wrote down the last chapter from her. Here is her last sentence to the reader of this book, and I give this to you. Listen. If you suffer, turn to the suffering rescuer. Or, as Pat Feinberg says this, I want to say to those who are suffering that God is sufficient. He is sufficient. Why? Because in your suffering and pain, the cross secures for you the eternal beauty of glory. In your suffering, the cross experiences. And he is sufficient for you in your suffering. Turn to the one who suffered greatly for his people. How could we not worship him forever? Let's pray.